That's what we're asking, Heavenly Father, for that fresh courage with which we can go forth into the world in which we live. Your heart is open to us. We have sensed it all through this hour of worship. We want to assure you our hearts are open to you. Send that spirit that might speak to us a word of hope and courage and peace as we wait upon you now in Holy Scripture. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Last week I flew out to Sacramento, California for a prayer conference in Modesto. And as our plane was taxiing out onto the runway at O'Hare Airport, the pilot got on the intercom. You know how the pilots do. We're the seventh in line or the sixth or the fifth. And flight attendants take your seats, that kind of a thing. This, the, the pilot we had was, was really, he was a character. He, he, he had a little time on his hands and so he, he soared into an eloquent soliloquy on the magic of flying and we were all entertained, but then, out of the blue, he spoke some words that are really out of the ordinary, and so I, I grabbed the back of my ticket stub and scribbled the words down, and I want to share them with you. You might take comfort in knowing that this aircraft and its engines are still under warranty. <laughs> Man, I never thought about that before, but boy, that's good to know, isn't it? We all felt better immediately, and we took off. You know, I think of the words of that pilot and I'm thinking now of another pilot. How does that hymn go? Jesus, Savior, pilot me. I think if Jesus were here today, do you know what he would say? You might take comfort in knowing that this book and all its promises are still under warranty. Hallelujah. Somebody has gone through and guesstimated that there are over 3,750 promises in the book. I'm telling you, every single one is still under warranty. One of those promises we have been going back to over and over in this new millennium series. And the reason we've gone back to it is because, wow, it is a stirring apocalyptic promise that God is going to send down on this planet a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit just before the return of Jesus Christ to earth. And so we've gone back and gone back. We have two more sessions together in this session. We're not going to miss it. Go back to that promise. It's still under warranty. Open your Bible to the Apocalypse, the Bible's last book. You know what? I've, through this series, I've just put my little ribbon right here in the crevasse between chapter 18 and chapter 17. Go to chapter 18, Revelation chapter 18. We've been here before. Want to go again? I'm in the New Revised Standard Version, Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his splendor or with his glory. I tell you what, talking about touched by an angel, the entire planet is set ablaze when that angel comes down. There is no question that we have here in this single line the promise of a global God moment. This is going to be a global spiritual revival just before Jesus returns to earth. Wow! You know what? We may have thought that life has, you know, it hadn't been too bad. Fairly exciting up heretofore. But I can assure you on the basis of this promise, apparently we haven't seen nothing yet. And the devil knows it. Oh boy! The devil knows Revelation 18.1. I want to cut straight to the bottom line of our few moments together this morning. Here's the bottom line. 
For every good gift that our good and gracious God gives, Satan offers a what? Satan offers a fake. I mean, just like going to Myers. You go to Myers and you don't want to pay fifty dollars for expensive cologne or perfume, and you can buy these little imitations. Six ninety-five doesn't smell too bad. Nobody will notice it for the first hour. <laughs> And it wears off. It's an imitation. It's a fake. It, it is not the real thing. For every good gift that God comes up with, Satan is ready to offer a fake to us. I'm not surprised. Because you know, the devil, the devil, you know what the devil's name is? It is evil with a D. D for deception. D for dumb. No, no, really. Take, for example... The burning question America is asking this morning. Who wants to marry a multimillionaire? I mean, nobody does now. <laughs> Would you? I mean, do you, have you followed this? I didn't know a thing about it. I didn't know it happened. I didn't hear about it until last week and folks were talking about it. Then this week in the news, over and over, post-mortem of what happened. Ladies and gentlemen, leave it to Fox Television. The one network that has earned the dubious distinction of leading the way in dumbing down America. Fox Television. By the way, they're doing it now in Australia and England as well. Fox Television. Leave it to them to be the ones to stage a live marriage on national television. I say live. It was brain dead, but it was live. That was hardly the first marriage or wedding on television. Some of us baby boomers saw Prince Charles and Princess Diane. So we've seen a wedding. But this was the first time, certainly on television, where a man and a woman meet for the very first time and 30 seconds later are married by a Las Vegas justice of the peace. What is going on? Fifty women parading in their bathing suits and wedding gowns before the prospective groom who's hidden behind the screen, who checks them all over carefully and decides in the space of a single television show which one of these hapless brides-to-be will become his wife. You can't believe it. The ultimate male abuse of female partnership in marriage because the one he picks has no choice but to say yes. She's already signed it. She will say yes in front of the gawking millions. Even cynical Time magazine, bless their souls. I think they got this one right. Let's look at this Time magazine. <clears throat> There's a quote here. It ended with a bended knee proposal and a civil ceremony under a giant floral arch that could have come from Godzilla's funeral. <laughs> I thought that was very, very colorful and creative. Friends, the, the writer goes, friends, this is why God gave us eyesight. Hiding behind a screen. It was a gross spectacle in too many ways to name, degrading if not to the 50 lovelies who showed up, then certainly to every other woman who chooses a mate. Not to mention men. Thank you for remembering us. Try pitching a TV special called Who Wants to Marry a Sweet Guy with a Decent Job? You can, nobody sign up. Nobody come. I can't believe it. Well, it was all for ratings. You know that. The show started off with 10 million people watching it. By midpoint in the show, they had 14 million. Before they signed off, nearly 23 million Americans are sitting there gawking at this utter sham and counterfeit and fake job of God's pristine and glorious gift of marriage in the beginning from the garden. And by, oh, by the way, it's very clearly, it's all in the name of godless greed. Because this is Sweep's Month. And they know that if they can show the numbers, they can raise the ante for their sponsors in the, in the uh, months to come. That's all it was about. It was the almighty dollar. And the star-crossed lovers, how are they doing? Oh, by the way, they've already split up. Can you believe it? 
And the only one laughing all the way to hell's bank and back is the great counterfeiter of every good gift God bestows upon His children. Did it again, he says. I faked them. I'm not surprised, sadly, and I don't suppose you are either. Since Satan has always despised both gifts to the human race that have come out of the Garden of Eden, marriage and the seventh day Sabbath, he has always given, reserved for them the brutal, withering fire in these waning days of history of his attack. So I repeat the bottom line. For every good gift that our good and gracious God gives, Satan offers a fake. Okay then, folks, let's think now. A little bit of logic here. Therefore, if God's Word promises, as we've been, as we've been noting all this uh, journey, if God wor God's Word promises a global God moment, a global spiritual revival that will set the whole world ablaze just before the return of Christ, does it not follow then that our mutual enemy will concoct a fake before, in advance of the genuine? I tell you why it has to be in advance. Because if he does it afterwards, it's too late. It's over. He has to concoct a fake before the genuine comes. Right? I mean, does the logic make sense? Yeah. And so because he doesn't know the day or the hour. Does he know? Does he know when Jesus is coming? Does he know the day or the hour of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? He does not know it. You know what the devil has? He has exactly what you have. All he has are the prophetic waymarks and signposts in this book. I'm telling you, the devil is the greatest student of this Holy Scriptures on the planet, bar none. He knows the book. And he knows we're moving, we're moving, we're getting closer. He has to, in advance, concoct a fake that looks so genuine that even the friends of God are going to be sucked into it, deceptively following this diabolical Pied Piper whose ways are the ways of death. He knows. Got to do it. Got to do it now before Jesus comes. I got to beat the Holy Spirit to the punch. Can he pull it off? This enemy whose name is evil with a D. I want to share with you now. Jot these down. Some of you are note takers. Three. A three text lineup. Rapid fire sequence. Let me give these three to you. That prove not only can he pull it off, he will pull it off. Let's go one more time to the original. Go to the original revival. Revelation 18.1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was made bright with his splendor. All right? Now, here comes a three-text lineup. Let's go first of all to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. 2 Corinthians, we'll work right off the screen. We're moving to a passage in just a moment, but this three-text lineup. 2 Corinthians 11, 13. For such boasters are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Hold it right there. Hold it. Go back to 13. You see, what Paul is saying here is, look, it, it's not only the devil that does this. Anybody can uh, cook your goose once or twice. Watch out, Paul says, for the humans. The humans who will try to deceive you. Fakes. Fakes can be even in the realm of humanity. Now let's go to verse 14, 2 Corinthians 11:14, And no wonder... Even Satan disguises himself as a what? Read it out loud with me. As a what? As an angel of light. Mark it well, ladies and gentlemen. The prince of darkness can fake himself, can transform himself into a being of light that smiles and loves and says, follow me. He can not only fake Hey, look at Revelation 18.1. It's about an angel that comes down and lightens the world. He says, wait a minute. I am that angel. I will lighten the earth with my glory. Look out, look out, look out. Not only can he do it. Now, here's the second text. Proof. He 
will do it. Second Thessalonians. Jot this one down. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll look at verses 1, 3, 4, 9, and 10. Jot the verses down. They'll be on the screen as we go through them. Second Thessalonians 2. Those of you in the orchestra, if you don't want to look right down here, we've got the monitor for you here. As to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we bade you, brothers and sisters... Okay, Jesus is coming. Now, here's the word. Verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first... And the lawless one is revealed. The one destined for destruction. Who's this lawless one? Ah, oh, comes clear. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he, he takes his seat in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. Hold it right there. We all say, well, that's got to be some power. It may be some power, but ladies and gentlemen, behind the power, be anything institution you want to talk about, there has always been Lucifer who says, I in the end will be the one you worship. Promise you, in the end, you worship me. He has always longed to be God. We know that. Now, in the light of that, what's he going to do? Let's go to verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is apparent in the working of Satan who uses, notice these three categories, all power, signs, and lying wonders for what? And every kind of wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Now, the reason I want you to catch that is, did you catch the three categories? Note, please, before the return of Christ, Satan will counterfeit or fake in what areas? Let's put them up on the screen. Power, signs, and what's the other one? You remember it? Wonders. You're right. Power, signs, and wonders. Lock those three words in your mind. Where did Lucifer get the idea for power, signs, and wonders? Let's go now quickly to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Jot it down. Acts 2, 22. Three text lineup. Where'd you get this idea, Lucifer? Uh, watch where he got it. This is the great revival sermon of Peter. Acts 2, 22, day of Pentecost. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through Him among you as you yourselves know. Mark it down, ladies and gentlemen. The three realms in which the ministry of Christ took place, power, what's the next? Signs and wonders are the identical three realms that Lucifer moves into just before the return of Christ. And he says, I can exert power in those three as well. You know what? We used to think... Satan is going to impersonate the return of Christ. I believe we're right. But apparently he will not only impersonate the return of Christ, he is going to impersonate the very ministry of Christ just before Jesus comes. Wow. I'm telling you what, ladies and gentlemen. So darkly jealous has Satan been of Christ from the very beginning that he has always desperately attempted to copy and mimic and fake his way into a likeness of Jesus. Without the character, of course. I don't need your character. I just want your power. I mean, let me have a supernatural power without his spiritual principles. I want his global fame without his godly faith. Let me be like Jesus without being like Jesus. Tragically, tragically, Christianity can fall for the same deception being like Jesus without being like Jesus. I want to close with this passage. Open your Bible now to Matthew chapter 7. I don't want to have you stick to the screen on that one. You go right to your Bible. Matthew chapter 7. Ought to be red letters because this is the Sermon on the Mount. Just before he concludes the Sermon on the Mount, one of those, one of those 
heart-rending passages, perhaps the most heart-rending in all of Scripture. Jesus speaks these words. I want you to... uh, Let's read it together. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus is speaking here. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Hold it right there. Stop it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, it is clear that this text is not intended for Buddhists. This is not a word to Buddhists. There are some Hindus here this morning. This is not a passage for you. This, is a pa- this passage is not for New Agers. It is not for any pagan, any heathen on this planet. It is clear that when Jesus speaks these words, He is describing a people who consider Him the Lord of their lives. Who are people called who consider Christ the Lord of their lives? What are they called on earth? Huh? They have His name. Put it up on the screen. They have His name. Every time you call them, you're calling them Christians. These are the Christians that Jesus is referring to. Very narrow cast. Don't try to say, well, this is some pagan neighbor of mine. No, 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 no. This is for you. If you're a Christian, this is for you. Nobody else can tune in here. Let's go on. Let's, let's go back to verse 21 and read, read the passage through. Three verses. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and cast out demons in Your name and do many deeds of power in Your name? And then, verse 23, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. Isn't that heartrending? Because He's going to speak these words. Apparently, there will be people who are convinced they are friends with the returning King. He's going to say, you know, the name is familiar, but I don't recognize their face. Go away. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We had your name. I mean, Christians. That's what we called ourselves. Come on, Jesus. We exercise the gifts of the Spirit. Do you know that the three claims that they make are the three most visible Gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament. They take the three most visible. What are they? Let's put them up on the screen. It's a gift of prophecy. That's fairly uh, astounding. It's a gift of what else? Exorcism, casting out demons. And finally, the gift of miracles. You say, hey, wait a minute. We did all of this. We exercised the, gift of the, the gifts of the Spirit in your name. But apparently, apparently, the devil who just before the return of Christ moves into the three realms has been able to pull his counterfeit off. Because notice the three realms we just went to a moment ago, they are, sa- they, they are the same as these three. Instead of prophecy, what do we have? We have power. Instead of exorcism, what do we have? We have signs. Instead of miracle, what do we have? We have wonders. In spite of their giftedness, here are people who are not saved. They are lost. Which is compelling evidence, ladies and gentlemen, that even the gifts of the Spirit can be faked and counterfeited so deceptively that the person exercising those gifts actually believes the gifts are genuine and are surely from Jesus. I did it in your name. How sad the words. Verse 23, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. Say, come on, Pastor. Where where, where are you going with all this? It's a fair question. Let me give you a candid answer. I am concerned that in our sincere and earnest quest to experience the second coming of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit of Christ, I am concerned that in our longing for revival, revival in worship, revival in prayer, revival in the Spirit, we may be inadvertently, innocently following the wrong Pied Piper. 
The Christian recording industry, Christian television, Christian publishing, Christian radio, it is all replete with the loud, boisterous claims of a Holy Ghost revival that is apparently sweeping through the evangelical church and even Roman Catholicism. I could have believed this when I saw this in uh, the current issue of Time magazine. Let me put the picture up on the screen for you. He's a young uh, Brazilian priest. Those of you from Brazil, we have a large contingent usually sitting over here. You know this priest, don't you? His name is, well, let me just read the, the opening lines. Most priests don't turn supplicants away, but Brazil's Padre Marcelo Rossi, or you say Rossi, 31, must or risk a riot. Second only to the Pope, the six foot four inch priest is the greatest cow crowd gatherer in the Roman Catholic Church. His appeal? After Mass, he sings and dances the Lord's praises in an electric whirlwind that he is termed appropriately the aerobics, the aerobics rather, of the Lord. While his followers sing along, he executes choreographed jumps and leaps and twists that the faithful try to copy. And when the Spirit moves the Father, especially vigorously, he'll pour buckets of holy water on his ecstatic audience. Now, the man who's up there running our PowerPoint right now, his name is Kleber Gonzalez. Kleber has been in Sao Paulo and he's been to the, where the police have blocked off, roped off blocks. 10,000 people he watched one day crowd into the streets. This priest is so charismatic. He, now they, they've moved into an old abandoned glass factory where 40,000 gather on a Sunday. The goal of this priest by the year 2001 to inspire 40% of Brazilians to attend Mass. Mass has jumped from 4% to 12%. He's on 28 radio shows every day. He's put out rock CDs. He is a superstar there. Now look, ladies and gentlemen, come on. I'm not going to judge that revival. I mean, Jesus opens up this very chapter, Matthew 7. He opens with the words, Judge not that you be not judged. But I am concerned that in our own efforts to experience something fresh, something appealing, something popular, something that will draw the crowds back to worship, draw them back to prayer meeting, you know, give them what they're used to. Give them what they want. I am concerned that we may become tricked and deceived into following the wrong leader. Just because Christian music or Christian worship or Christian literature or Christian television or Christian healing services or tongue manifestations are filled with Jesus, Jesus, Jesus does not mean that they are actually manifestations of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus said, hey guys, come on. You can say, Lord, Lord, Lord to me. You didn't get it. It's not my name. That's vain repetition. Listen, he says. Apparently, Holy Spirit revivals can be counterfeited and faked in the name of the Lord. You don't have to take my word for it. But you can take Jesus' word for it. Jesus is utterly clear. Is, that, is Jesus then saying, okay, come on, guys, no more singing, no more healing, no more worshiping, quit evangelizing in my name. Is that what he's saying? He's not saying that at all. Not at all. Look at verse 23. No, verse 21, rather. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. There is a four-letter word for doing the will of our Father in heaven. It's a four-letter word in many circles. The, the, the word is O-B-E-Y. It's not a very popular word, I understand. But that's what it means to do the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, Jesus is so certain about that, the very next line after He says, I don't know you, He says, those who hear my word and do them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the what? On a rock. That's O-B-E-Y. So my friends, how are we supposed to know the difference? Come on, we are bombarded 
our, our senses, our spirits. How do we discern the difference? Let me put up on the screen a penetrating depiction of the genuine and the fake and the only way we'll ever be able to know the difference. Jot this down. It's that little apocalyptic classic, The Great Controversy, just two pages, 464, and then also jot down 593. Read the words as I read them here. Before the final visitation of God's judgments on the earth, there will be among the people of the Lord such a revival of primitive godliness as has not been witnessed since apostolic times. The Spirit and power of God will be poured out upon His children. That's Revelation 18.1. The enemy of souls desires to hinder this work. And note this, before the time for such a movement shall come, he will endeavor to prevent it by introducing a counterfeit. In those churches which he can bring under his deceptive power, he will make it appear that God's blessing is poured out. There will be manifest what is thought to be great religious interest. Multitudes, thousands will exult that God is working marvelously for them when the work is that of another spirit. Under a religious guise, not a pagan guise, under a religious guise, Satan will seek to extend his influence over the Christian world. Now, jot it down. 593, the people of God are directed to the Scriptures as their safeguard against the influences of false teachers and the delusive power of spirits of darkness. Here comes the punchline. So closely, and that, that emphasis is mine, so closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible to distinguish between them except by what? Except by what? except by the Holy Scriptures. By there, the Holy Scriptures' testimony, every statement and every miracle must be tested. End quote. Did you catch that? It will be impossible, impossible to know the difference between the fake and the genuine without, without the Holy Scriptures. Which is precisely what Jesus just said. The One who does the will of My Father in Heaven Mark it down. His will can only be known through His Word. A few Sundays ago, I was watching, you know, getting ready for, I think, something coming on in football and uh, channel surfing and came across a televangelist who announced to the television audience that he was going to have, and I quote here, three days of Holy Ghost power and anointing for an atmosphere, he went on, an atmosphere of expectancy is the breeding ground of miracles. We're going to have miracles. Man, you come here, three days of Holy Ghost anointing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not judging him, but I'm asking you this question. Any Christian, how will a Christian know whether what he sees there or she sees there is genuine or not? How can we know? As I watched the high decibel leaping and dancing and singing and shouting, I'm saying, now, now, how do I discern? How can I know? Now, I want to put a caveat, st stick it in right here. Working with our PowerPoint, uh, part, my PowerPoint partner yesterday, he came up with this. I think he's right. He said, now, careful, do I? Careful, careful. Because, you see, there are two ruts in the road. Isn't he right? There are two ruts in the road. On one side, let's make this the right side. On the right side, there is lifeless formalism. And on the other side, there is wordless emotionalism. Lifeless formalism is, hey man, if we can just keep it quiet, come on, shh, holy in here. If we can keep it quiet, worship is taking place. That's just as wrong as on this side saying, hey, who needs the Scripture? Man, I've got the Spirit in my bones. Hallelujah, jump high. <laughs> no, don't laugh at me. You know that's true. You know what, guys? I'm just going to be really candid with you. I'm very concerned 
Because you see, I'm a part of a community of faith and I've grown up in this church and I love the church. But I'm in, we're a part of a generation now that has looked at this lifeless formalism and they said, you know, enough is enough. No more lifeless formalism around here. I'm concerned that in our effort to correct getting out of this rut over here, that sometimes happens in the snow. You, you pull into a rut and say, man, I've got to get out. And you overcorrect and before you know it, you're, on the, you're in the rut on the other side of the road. There is a danger that to get out of this rut, we will swing all the way over here and get stuck in this rut. Wordless emotionalism. If it feels good, if it makes you jump, if it makes you go, I'm warning you, both are ruts. By the way, both are attempts to engender holiness and both are counterfeits. You don't care which rut you're in as long as you're in a rut. Both sides are wrong. How can we know what is genuine? His will is known through His Word. Look at folks, if, if Satan can transform himself into an angel of light, obviously we can't evaluate any spiritual claims or, or religious practice on the basis of our senses. Come on, the sensory is the most easily duped in the world. Anybody can trick us. A magician can do that. Jesus is absolutely clear. The will and the way of God can only be known through the Word of God. No other way. No other way. I remind you, by the way, that this mutual enemy who's... Name is evil with a D for deception. He is not going to be contented for long to work through a facade or a front. The day is coming. You mark the Scripture's word. The day is coming when this angel of light will say, look, I need it all for me. And the angel of light will seek to transform himself into the very Lord of light himself. You know, when Jesus stands in front of you and he says, I'm Jesus. And it turns out it is, it is Lucifer, the fake. How are you going to know the difference? You say, oh, that's not going to be a big test. I, I, I'll get through it. Let me show you something. Great Controversy, page 625. One line. This is the strong, almost overmastering delusion. You won't just get through it. You can't cruise through it. You've got to know. How will you know? There's only one way. On that day of blinding delusion, it is clear the will and the way of God can only be known through the Word of God itself. All right, that's it. There can be no other way. No other way. No other way. doesn't matter to me what your academic discipline is now. doesn't matter to me what your professional training might be. The Word of the living God must become the most consulted book in your life for the rest of your life. You're not in the university yet. The Word of God must become the most consulted book for the rest of your life. doesn't matter what you major in. Major in the Bible. Major. We're talking major, major in the Bible. You know, when I teach over here in the seminary, I tell my students over there, John Wesley's great motto. I like this. I'll put it in the Latin for you on the screen. Wesley says, I want to be homo unius libri. What's that mean? I want to be a man of one book. If there is a community of faith on this earth that ought to claim that passion, should it not be the Seventh-day Adventist church? Come on, guys. Should it be? Come on. Should it be? People of one book. People of one book. What does the pilot say? You might take comfort in knowing that this book and its promises are still under warranty. Hallelujah. So read it. Read it. Read it. Read it. Read it. Read it. Mark it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Magnify it. Master it. Let God magnify His love for you through it. You know what Jesus says? I never knew you. It's not that He could... What's the name again? Not the bat. You never got to know me. You never took the time. I am in the Word. 
and you missed me. I'm going to cut this right to the, uh, to the chase right now. There's some people say, you know what, man, I, I go out in the God's first book, book of nature. I go out in the book of nature and I meditate. I want to tell you something, my friend. You can stare at a pine cone till you are blue in the face and it will never teach you about Calvary. I'm med- meditating right now. Hallelujah. Meditate. But we have to be moved into the heart of Holy Scripture. You want a Holy Ghost revival around this place, huh? You want the second coming of the Holy Spirit in your life? I do in mine. Do you want it in yours? There will never be the... The Holy Spirit will never come apart from the Holy Scriptures. You can't get the Holy Spirit without the Holy Scriptures. They are absolutely inseparable. You know why? Because they both major in Jesus. That's why. John 5.39, Jesus said, hey, look, search the Scriptures. They are they which testify of Me. John 15.29, He said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He will testify of Me. They both major in Jesus. I don't know about you, but I can't think of anyone more important to major in than Jesus. What do you say? Ah. You know what? You know what I'm, I'm, I'm worried about? Is that you're, you're saying, okay, good. Hallelujah. Yay. Love the Bible. And I'm afraid you won't go out and do anything about it. There's some of you who say, man, do you, know how, do you know how stressed out my life is right now? What are you asking me to do? Spend another hour a day in the Scripture? I'm not asking you to spend another hour a day in the Scripture. I'm just asking you to make the book of books, the book you major in. God knows how much reading we have to do in this university. But don't let it crowd out. The capital B book. Look at folks, we're not talking about having to get a PhD in theology in order to read this book. If you've got a book back in your dormitory room, back in your home, back in your apartment, your, your mobile home right now, you say, I'm so tired of that book. Well, then go out and buy a new one. Buy yourself a new translation. Sometimes just changing the translation can shift the paradigm and suddenly you can get excited all over again about the Bible. You say, what, read anywhere in the Bible? Yeah, read anywhere. Now, if you want to read the Word incarnate... That will bring the Word incarnated into your own life. Sure, read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But spend time in the Word. Don't tell me, oh, I just, I'm too pressed. Forget being pressed. You have to have time in this book. I'm telling you, if you can't read, that's the only reason you should not be in the Bible. If you can't read. But everybody in this building can read. Get into the book. Ladies and gentlemen, one day soon... The strong, almost overmastering delusion will sweep this planet. And I don't, you know what? You can be a Seventh-day Adventist. Yep. You can go say, hey, hey, Lord, we had the gift of prophecy. That's, what, that's in Matthew 7. We had the gift of prophecy and we read the gift of prophecy in your name. The gift of prophecy will never get you in heaven. Never. You know what I believe about that gift? Believe in it? Absolutely. But if you're banking on the gift of prophecy, you're lost because they will go to him and they say, we have the gift of prophecy in your name. He said, kind of remember, that name rings a bell, don't recognize a face. Adios. It's not the gift of prophecy. It's the book. Homo unius libri.
man of one book, woman of one book. Ladies and gentlemen, I commend to you the book. Go buy a book tomorrow. You don't like the book you got? Buy another one tomorrow. But get into the book tonight. Get into the book tomorrow. Don't put it off. You have to be grounded in the Word. You'll be lost. You'll be lost. If you're not in this book, you'll be lost. I commend to you the Word made flesh who always appears in the Word made print. Go to the book, Major in Jesus. There's a great hymn. We're going to end with it because it's all about Jesus and that seems to be the best way to end when we're talking about the Word. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. Let's sing it out. Open our hearts up to the Word made flesh today. Oh God, grant to us a thousand tongues that our lives might night and day testify to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And dear Father, please, 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 may we discover the Word made flesh in the Holy Word of God. And may it be true of this people. They have found His will. They have followed His way because they obeyed His Word. Grant to us the Word, dear Father. And may we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And to Him, May there be the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen.